Hello and welcome to Cover to Cover, where we bring you local insight into the world of Korean books. My name is Beth. And I'm Naomi. We're your hosts and copy editors at the Korea Herald. We're here to offer you insightful, entertaining reviews and conversations about Korean books, straight from the source, right here in Seoul, South Korea. We hope that you'll join us for future episodes. Hello and welcome to the latest episode. I'm your host for today, copy editor Beth Eun-hee Hong. And I'm your guest co-host, culture reporter Kayong Park. Today, we have a very special guest. We are speaking with Raphael Rashid, a Seoul-based freelance journalist from the UK who has lived in Korea since 2011. He has been published in the New York Times, The Guardian, El Korea, and appeared on Al Jazeera, BBC World, Channel 4, and Channel News Asia, among many more. He is a prolific member of the Twitterati about South Korean culture, politics, and social issues at Koryo Dynasty. Raphael is also the author of The Korea We Refuse to See, published in July, and I have it right here, and yep, <laughs> you can pick it up at any bookstore. So the book consists of nine parts with insights into various aspects of a Korean society, gliding through his research, reporting, personal experiences, and encounters. Uh, welcome, Raphael, to the Cover to Cover podcast. Thank you for having me. So for those who are being introduced to you for the first time, can you briefly talk about your path to coming to South Korea and becoming a freelance journalist here? Yeah, uh, so I've been here for, it's going to be 11 years in a week or two. Um, I came here originally to do my master's degree uh, in Korean studies. Uh, and if I'm going to go back in time, like <laughs> why did I come to do Korean studies in Korea? It's because I did my undergraduate in London in uh, Japanese and Korean studies. So I kind of wanted to uh, kind of learn more and get a little bit more of a deeper understanding of my undergraduate degree. So I came to Korea to do my master's specifically in Korean studies effort and energy into learning a kind of new culture, language, and making new friends. It was very difficult to leave after three years. So um, I, I stayed on and uh, I worked in a, in a company as well. But at the time, it was in, it was about towards in 2014, approximately. Um, I, you know, I, I'm sure you all remember things weren't very well in Korea, especially in, in politics um, and the government. And um, I felt that there was a lot of things that were not being said uh, in the English language. And I kind of wanted to contribute to some of the discussions, uh, not just politics, but also other issues that were not North Korea, uh, plastic surgery, K-pop, kind of all the typical stuff that you saw, especially a decade ago. So I was kind of more interested in trying to provide a, maybe a different perspective. And slowly I started to write articles on things that I thought were in, important or interesting that maybe other media were not covering. Um, and kind of one thing led to the other. Uh, and because I was working in a PR agency, I was also exposed to the kind of media environment and how journalism and media works in this country, but from the other side. Um, but at the same time, I had this uh, need to, to, to write or to give 
my version or, or my story that I the story that I wanted to convey. So then eventually I quit and then I've been freelancing for the past, I can't remember, four or five years uh, and doing journalism and uh, at trying trying my best to <laughs> to write the stories maybe that other people might not talk about. Um, and so s- fast forward to today, uh, it's been 11 years somehow and uh, yeah, doing freelance journalism in Korea. I think um, what I what we really want to know is what initially propelled you to write this book in particular. Um, I guess there's there were several reasons. The first is that uh, I think it was at the start of COVID or before or after I can't even remember now. Um, I started to write a column in L Korea, which is uh, as you know women's kind of uh, fashion magazine slash website in Korea, but I was given an opportunity to write a column. And the topic was, I mean, essentially I was given a blank space and it's like, write what you think is important on whatever issue. So I did one or two and I guess they quite liked it and it it developed into a weekly column that spread over for one year um, somehow. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the background. And um, I decided to kind of take all of the different ideas that I had uh, over these 50 columns and try to make sense and order because it was a little bit messy. Every week was a completely different topic. But I tried to make order, put them together um, and try to make a kind of themes and uh, topic because um, everyone kind of told me the same things through these columns. You seem to always be talking about uh, elements of unhappiness in Korea. And actually, I hadn't even noticed. I wasn't even doing it on purpose. I was just discussing certain issues, like especially um, the, the, the culture of maybe having to get married or having to date someone or having to do this or having to do that. And always towards the end of my columns, I would be talking about, well, uh, does that make people happy? And as it turns out, indeed, even I didn't notice it myself, but the entire 50 columns was kind of was all this similar topic about a conformity and happiness or unhappiness. So I put them all together um, and kind of uh, added a lot more stuff removed a lot more stuff and tried to make a story, but also a story about my 10, well now 11 years in Korea and kind of go through those years to try and explain, well, in a way like a diary, like what what I've seen, but also hopefully ask questions uh, about what, what makes people happy. Because I guess one common theme over the past 10 years that I found is that if I ask people around me just a very simple question, are you happy? I've never really been able to get <laughs> a, a, a straightforward answer without any hesitation. And I've always kind of wondered why people uh, around me, you know, f- friends included, can't necessarily answer this question when on the outside, everything seems to be working in their favor. They have good jobs, went to good university, they've got all the right They've got everything going in their favor in life. Um, Some are very wealthy, you know, they have everything, um, yet maybe not very happy. Um, And a lot of 
times I, I feel like I've become a counselor over the past mm. 10 years, like for a, a back for people to cry on. Um, and so I kind of heard all these grievances. And so I thought I'd kind of try to summarize all of these things and put, put it all in a book. So you were given a blank page when you were asked to write for the L Korea. Yeah. And but did you have some specific audience in your mind? Well, uh, I mean, obviously the audience in L Korea is probably mainly a young women in their twenties and thirties, maybe forties. I'm guessing, um, but that wasn't. A reason for me to necessarily cater to that audience, but I guess a lot of the issues that I think are very important, especially when it comes to you know gender issues, gender equality, um, you know these are issues that are important to me, and I think important also to the readers of that that read my column. So I guess we just had. Um, I mean, I got a lot of positive feedback actually um, from readers at the time, so. I didn't do it to cater to this specific audience, but um, I guess people people liked it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so, um, did you intend to write it in English or Korean? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess it's a bit random, <laughs> or a bit, a bit. Normally, I guess people in my position will start with a book in English or publish it in English and it will probably get translated into Korean. But I did it the other way around in in that this is <laughs> my first book and it's in Korean. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder who is, if I'm writing things, who is my audience? Is it is it Koreans or is it non-Koreans? And I think when I did the column in L, the audience was definitely Koreans. It was written in Korean. The audience was Korean. Um, and I don't even think those columns, you could necessarily translate them into English because you'd need so much context if you were to say in English. Um, on the other, you know, of course, when I'm writing in English or say tweeting in English, then obviously I'm catering to a certain audience. And that's why sometimes I'll, you know, I, I'll do a tweet in Korean as well because depending on, I guess, who I want to cater to. So this was very much uh, for a Korean audience. Um, many people have asked me, you know, is it going to be published in English or where is the English script? Surely there's an English script. There is no English script. There's no English draft. Mm. Uh, it started off in Korean. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm 100% fluent in Korean um, and it was a collaborative process. But um, it started off in Korean and finished in Korean. Um, similar to the columns, I don't think in this format it could be translated into English. I mean, sure, you could translate it, um, but I think you'd need so much more context and cultural elements and maybe even historical elements added to it that it would just be a kind of new book in itself. So the audience is Koreans. Yeah, audience is Koreans. Oh, okay. But it, I think if it were, I mean, some people have told me, um, like English speaking audiences have told me that they would like to read it. Uh, I guess those are especially uh, English speaking audiences in Korea who will maybe understand what I'm trying to explain, but I don't think it would necessarily work 100% uh, translated to an audience that has never lived in Korea, has never experienced Korea. 
So I think if it were in English, it would be a completely different book. Mm. So you're planning to write? Um, <laughs> if someone wants it, I mean, if a publisher, <laughs> if a publisher wants it in English, then I guess there's room for discussion. But for now, uh, it's a Korean piece. I think it would be very insightful for foreigners too, to to yeah. understand South Korean society. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think there's in. I mean, some someone told me just yesterday. A, a Korean uh, person told me yesterday that it should be translated into English because people should know the reality about Korea. It's not just K-pop and beautiful oppas. Um, you know, there's a lot more um, that people should know, uh, and it should be in in English. So, you know, I've I've received that kind of feedback, and I really appreciate it. Um, I, like I said, I just think maybe if it were in English, it would have to be the It'll be a bit more. Th- it'll be a bit thicker, and there's a bit more information. Mm. Okay, so that was one of the feedbacks you you got. Uh, have you been? Um, could you introduce some other reactions to this book so far? Uh, yeah, I've. I guess. I, I, I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying not to listen 100 to my friends' feedback because, uh, I mean, <laughs> probably they're just. <laughs> I mean, they're going to probably say positive things, and, um, <laughs> but uh, overall, I, I think the feedback that I've received is uh, a lot of people have said, "Oh, this is me," or "I don't agree one hundred percent with everything in the book, but ninety percent, I was nodding my head and, oh yeah, I've been through that before. I know exactly what he's talking about." So that's kind of. Uh, but at the same time, these are things that people have gone through, who have experienced it, who know exactly what I'm talking about, but um, might not have necessarily said it out loud. Or it's something that is so obvious that you, I don't know, take it for granted, or you see it but you don't really see it. I mean, hence the title "Uliga Pozi Motante Minguk." It's like you see it but you don't see it, or You see it, but you refuse to acknowledge it. So I've received quite a lot of that feedback, uh, and people saying that it's somewhat of a kind of mirror <laughs> of what they've been through, um, and gives them space to reflect on on these things that they might not have ever thought about before, even though they know it, and it's pretty obvious. Mm, th- what do you think some of these comments say about Korean society in terms of racism and politics and kukbong? And if you can translate kukbong into English <laughs> <laughs> on your own. Um. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, if we're going to talk about kukbong, like, I feel like I'm, I'm the opposite of that. Um, a lot, interestingly, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I think um, especially a lot of foreign uh, people who have, you know, known they've got a relatively known name in Korea, or who go on these like entertainment shows, variety shows, or discussion shows, um, tend to talk about positive aspects of Korea. Not just positive aspects, but almost fake or like just. 
praising Korea, not just on TV, also on YouTube, praising Korea and showing how well they use chopsticks, eat their kimchi, and they love Korea. You know, and we've we've seen so much of that. Um, and I think Koreans at the beginning, I thought. It, I mean, I, I I'll admit I used to watch that kind. Of, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I did s- see it a few times on TV, and I thought it was funny to see, especially like a white person eating kimchi, and then big reactions on TV, and um, and watching it with friends, and people would be laughing, and I think we were all, I would say. I guess, guilty of it, enjoying this kind of entertainment. But now I think it's reached a point where it's just too much of it. Um, And I think Koreans also realize that it's a bit, quite frankly, disgusting um, to just expect foreigners to praise Korea. I mean, I was invited, I I think I mentioned it in the book, but I was invited to one of these shows um, to appear as the token foreigner to have my life paraded on TV and there was this kind of pre-interview process and they were asking me so what issues as a journalist what issues are you interested in so I said oh I'm interested in um, socially underprivileged human rights that kind of stuff the fun stuff yeah exactly (laughs) and then she was like she got really confrontational and she was like do you even like Korea Mm. and I was like why am <laughs> I was like, what, what is this? Like, are we, is this an, an immigration interview? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, um, tell me one thing you like about this country. And I was like, what, what's going on? And then, um, and I was like, well, that's a, a difficult question to answer. But I mean, it's a convenient country, of course. There's many positive aspects but um, many people fulfill that role to talk about those aspects, and that's just not my cup of tea. And then she's like, tell me something. Do you even like the weather in this country? And I was like, What's, what are you talking about? And so I said, I don't think our we align here. And then she was like, you do realize our show is to compliment Korea. And she used the word compliment. And I was mm-hmm. like, <gasps> I, can't, you know, I can't believe they even said, they even admitted it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. And then she just walked out the room. And I was like, <laughs> what just happened, you know? So I'm yeah. glad I didn't go on that show. So there's like that, that, that kind of um, expectation for, for, I guess, foreigners to only say the good stuff. And the minute you say something bad, then people might not like it. But... Actually, I think I've received quite a lot of positive feedback from this book. And it was tried and tested in the uh, columns that I wrote. So <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, so moving on, in uh, parts two and three of the book, which are about the hyper-competitive job and marriage market, uh, the key word is specs. Can you talk about what specs are and um, what they mean in the context of work and marriage in South Korea? So, I mean, I... I used to remember rem- learning the word spec at, at language school. Um, I, I, how, how can you even translate it? Mm-hmm. Um, specifications. Specifications. That's what it came from. Uh, wait, what, what, what's a better word? It's like qualifications, I guess. Yes. Or achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, even the word itself, specification, it sounds like a word like the specifications of a computer, mm-hmm. like state. You have to make a list. Um, I guess. I mean, I learned. I learned spec. I still remember um, 
one Christmas Eve, I was doing volunteering um, in my local area, and it was to distribute some kind of warm clothes to some uh, homeless people in the in the area, and we we distributed all these jumpers and scarves. And every time we did that, we had to take photos. And I was like, guys, it's a bit awkward to take photos mm -hmm. posing with these homeless people. It's not very nice to just take a photo in their face and run away. Um, so I was wondering, why are we taking these photos? I mean, it turns out it was to upload on the website later on. Kind of tick the box to show that you've done it. And then I was like, hey, let's go home. It's, it's getting late. We finished our task. And they're like, no, 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 no. We have to go back to the district office to receive our certificate our qualification and I was like what the hell are you just doing it for a piece of paper and they're like yeah like we need the paper otherwise and later on I realized that I too would be <laughs> receiving all these papers and I made a kind of file and it's like when I'm applying for a job it's like here are my specs like here are my it's reduced to a piece of paper um so those are I guess the the specs that are expected in terms of uh literal qualifications to get a job or, or, or go to university, whatever it is. But then I feel like specs are more than just qualifications, but I, I guess expectations in Korea. And sometimes it feels very much that um, things are like a to-do list or a checklist. So maybe that's what we could say specs are. It's like a to-do list or a checklist. And in Korea, especially, you know, a lot of, I, I've seen so many times people saying, like, oh, I'm gonna, I need to get married this year. And then I'm like, oh, but uh, <laughs> do you have a partner? Like, are you in love? Do you want to get married? Like, it's such a big commitment. And I guess a lot of people, I mean, I've met a lot of people who haven't even thought about this. Like, I need to get married this year. And then they do, and then they have this lavish ceremony, and then, um, you know, have their honeymoon, and then get a new uh, apartment, and buy a new car, and I'm like, Tick, 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 tick. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a manual. And if it were one or two people, I fair enough. But I've seen it so many times with so many people. It's like a checklist. And many people have the same checklist. Um, and it feels like things like, you know, s things like marriage or, um, you know, getting, going to a good company. It just feels like, Okay, I don't want to generalize, but it feels like many people need to achieve the same things. Um, otherwise, maybe they feel like they're falling behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> receiving all those certificates after doing some volunteer work <laughs> at school. <laughs> yeah, you, you also talk about the toll chasing specs in both work and marriage you can take. Um, you also talk about how even those who do manage to come up, uh, come out on top of with all these specs and get the perfect job or marriage can start unleveling. Can you tell us a bit of your direct personal experiences or observations of this phenomenon? Yeah, um, I mean, like I alluded to earlier on, um, a lot. I feel like a lot of people are following this kind of checklist of things that they need to do or they think they need to do. And in a way, it's quite convenient because it means you don't need to think too much. You, you just have to follow what's expected. Um, but, but then I think the cracks will eventually show. Um, 
And I think, I mean, I think marriage is one of the big ones or dating or marriage, I think is one of the big ones because we're now seeing, I think South Korea's got one of the highest divorce rates in Asia. Um, and a lot of, you know, when I used to go to these weddings and weddings of people who, um, you know, who said that they needed to get married and then they, I've seen people getting married after three or four months of knowing one another so quickly. And have, I have to go to these ceremonies, I have to give my money, I have to bless something I don't really believe in. I mean, as in, I don't, be I don't believe in this. I, I call them sham, sham marriages. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what they are. They're just celebrations of, I, I think they're, they're, they're fake. It's just for the sake of getting, it's marriage for the sake of getting married. And then I feel like the idiot um, having to go to these places. Oh my God, do I, I have a partner? Do I, have, do I need a partner? Do I need to get married? Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who feels like the outsider. But now I see a lot of these people who have ticked all the boxes and achieved the dream. And now everyone's getting divorced. I mean, right now, I think among all the marriages I've been to in the past 10 years, I think more have and already ended up in divorce than in success. Or if they are still together, I just hear like complaining, 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 how it's, you know, they're not happy and they want to escape. And I'm like, what's, why, why did you get married in the first place if you didn't even, did you even know that? I mean, of course, I'm not saying it's like that for everyone, but um, yeah, I just feel like is, what was it all for? Or if, or people who go to these, uh, big companies, big salaries, um, making a lot more money than me, multi uh, by a multiple, you know, multiple times more money than me. And then they come back to me and they're like complaining. Mm. So I'm like, um, you know, what, what, why are you complaining? So well, I've got no time, I've got no life, I've got no this, I've got no that. And I'm like, I don't know, I'd, I don't have a solution, but is it really worth it? you know, mm -hmm. to achieve all of these specs. And actually I met some, um, I met someone uh, a few months ago, uh, a friend a few months ago, and he t literally told me he's achieved all of his dreams at such a young age. He got a good partner, a good house, a good job, a good salary. Everything is perfect. Like he's ticked all the boxes. And now that he's achieved literally his dreams in his own words he suddenly feels empty because he doesn't <laughs> there's nothing after and he didn't plan his next dream uh and and then he feels really empty he feels lonely and then he feels he doesn't know what to do anymore and i'm like what's going <laughs> what's mm. going on you know mm. Mm. um in part six titled a country of a black and white reasoning you discuss how black and white reasoning colors a lot of public discourse and social behavior of Koreans. Uh, can you talk a little bit, bit more about how this framing comes through in terms of gender equality? Yeah, um, you know, especially in this chapter, I, I talk about this, you know, so-called black and white logic or reasoning in Korea in that it seems that everything needs to be divided in Korea. It's either left or right. You're either for, you're against. You're either conservative or you're liberal. You're either, um, 
uh, a masculine male or a feminine woman. I mean, you have a lot of these um, very clear divides in Korea. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of these divides are, are getting more severe in, in society uh, and create a lot of friction. But um, in terms of um, gender, uh, gender or gender equality, you know, um, I mean, for example, when I, um, I used to go to my friend's house uh, every time for Seoul and Chuseok and um, every, so about every six months I'd go to his house and, um, you know, I'd notice small things like how there's the role of the woman and then the, the role of the man. And essentially, I mean, at least from my experience, the role of the man is do nothing while the woman slaves in, in, in the kitchen. <laughs> and, and then I was, I mean, ultimately I'm the guest and not only that, I'm the foreign guest. So it's like absolutely not allowed to touch anything. So, but um, even if I wasn't allowed to touch anything in the house or the kitchen, I'd I kind of ask my friends who are men hey, why don't you help your mother in the kitchen? And it's like, mm, no, like, that's not the way it works. Kind of. And I was like, huh? But you're doing nothing. You're just watching TV. Um, and I kind of got, got used to, well, I, I, can't, I, was, I was kind of surprised by this kind of, these clear gender roles um, that are, people know that these are, well, I don't know about older generations, but, younger generations know that it's not necessarily right or they know that they shouldn't um, accept it, but they still do it. Um, and so it, it, I, I've seen this kind of very, these stereotypes of what it means to be a man and what it means to be uh, a woman in, the, in, in Korea. And like I said, what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine. Um, and also, there's, um, I mean, obviously, in, I mean, it goes without saying, but Korea is a very unequal society when it comes to um, uh, gender issues and how, you know, maybe, say, uh, women, um, are in, 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 a on average, I guess, may, might get paid less than men um, in, in society. Um, and I think we see a lot of these uh, divisions and a lot of inequality but now that we live in the 21st century and I think you know we're not in the Chosun dynasty <laughs> Chosun period anymore uh, we don't live in the middle ages and uh, Korea is a lot more open society and open to the outside world um, and open to outside ideas uh, and is you know a demo democratic country um, people <laughs> No, I mean, people are very well educated, especially Korea, one of the highest education rates in the world. People know that these kind of things are wrong um, and we shouldn't accept it. But, um, but now we see, um, especially over the past few years, this weird, twisted kind of rhetoric where you see women saying, you know, saying this isn't right or... Uh, we also want equality, uh, and I guess one of the words to describe what they are asking for, or this kind of 
uh, movement, I guess one of the words you could use is feminism. Um, but so suddenly it's become uh, kind of, it, it's been twisted as a kind of threat to the, the patriarchy and to the role of the man. And um, we're seeing a lot of weird twisted resistance uh, from certain conservative voices and parts of society uh, who are who may, might not want change but um, but then kind of blame women for all of their grievances and then it suddenly divides people a lot more uh, and now the whole discourse of, of you know gender equality and feminism has become so twisted in Korea it's become I mean feminism has become a dirty word um, <laughs> uh, it's 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 really yeah it's really disturbing and so especially in Korea like I mean I'm not I'm not well read in say feminism you know that's not my that's not my how can I say my uh, speciality or my degree or anything like that but um, I guess if you know a lot of people ask me are you a are you a feminist or are you a femi am I what <laughs> why what maybe we should reword the question as are you for equality you know like that's the way i see it um but right you know these days especially over the past few years i've been asked by a lot of men who ask me you know are you a femi are you on their side i'm like what <laughs> what's going on um you know yeah. why do you have to divide everything why does everything have to be you're with them or you're against them or yeah. you're evil or you're not evil it's become really weird really weird times and this is especially amplified by media in my opinion mm. yeah definitely and i just want to say i think that the word femi even though it denotes feminist um it has a nuance of feminazi i would yeah, say yeah yeah um which again is very polarizing language right whenever you um you know add nazi to anything <laughs> yeah. you're clearly demonizing the other you know that, that group of people or people who share that belief and it is a shame that it's gotten so ugly. But know? a lot of you'll see a lot of mainstream media will actually put the word femi in their headlines, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like we're already we've already made it into some weird monster. We've already demonized feminism. And then you have media who are just using this word in the headline and it just, you know, it just further fuels this divide. Um and, and, you know, like, w I mean, we saw when I think it was the, the current president who had to deny that he was a feminist. I mean, it's just become so messed up. I mean, I just want to clarify, though, you're talking about, are you talking about established media, even like major news outlets? Established media. Yeah, because I think like in the West, you know, we have tabloids, right? Like in Canada, we have like the Toronto Sun. Right, right, right. You know, right, you, right, you right. have like um, Hello or whatever yeah, in the yeah, UK. Yeah. And like, you know, they can get away with those things yeah, because they're... Yeah, expect. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very like blatantly, like they're very like, you know, upfront about the fact that they're just here to sell, right? Like sell the news, sell sensational stuff. But it is shocking that like established newspapers who should hold to higher journalistic ethics are kind of pandering to these sort of, you know, yeah, jerk, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, headlines. It's a little bit disappointing. Right. Um, so um, can you talk a little bit about the role conservative Christian groups, uh, speaking of media, um, have played in shaping some of the quote unquote undesirable narrative around sexual orientation, but also other so-called undesirable traits such as place of origin and so on? 
Yeah, um, what I find interesting um, over the past few years, um, I guess covering certain issues in uh, in Korean society is um, how intolerant certain groups are. And I mean, you're referring to uh, conservative Christians. Um, a lot of the time, I mean, let's take let's take soul pride for example. Well, not just soul pride, but there's other prides, Daegu pride, Incheon pride, or whatever. One thing I noticed a few years ago is that whenever you see um, headlines talking about soul pride, the headline is almost copy pasted every year. It's always the same thing. It's like this weekend, soul pride dot 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 um, clashes, collisions expected. Uh, opposition groups, um, you know, opposition groups, something like that. And so I, I've always wondered why, who are these opposition groups? Who, you know, because they don't even say who these people are. But if you look carefully, it turns out it's always the same people. It's always these like far right conservative Christian groups who are just branded as opposition. Uh, in media, and sometimes I, you know, I find it problematic to call them just opposition groups. I think it, media should state exactly who they are, especially if you know who they are. And you know, it, it's funny because a lot of these groups, every time there's a different issue to protest against, they just reform and create a new group name. Um, but it's still the same people. Uh, and they create a, a name and then they create a press release and they send it to the media and then the media will just like print it out. Especially they use the word like parent group or education or love group or something. Like these, these key words. Whenever I see the word hakpumo, I already know it means <laughs> radical Christian group. But then media will just copy paste it as if it's some, um, as if it's a, uh, concerned parents, but it's not concerned parents. These are, let's be clear about what these people are. These are hate groups. I mean, I haven't, I've yet to see any media use the word hate group, but I call them hate groups. And so they seem to be quite clever at being able to manipulate media to make it sound like the majority of people are against certain issues, including um, sexual uh, minorities. And then they, they even say in their press releases like, oh, the majority of Koreans are against LGBTQ, so blah, blah, blah. And then media will literally copy paste that into the article. <laughs> and then a reader who has no idea who these opposition groups are, read the quote as if it's fact mm -hmm. that the majority of Koreans are against this. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it, it creates this really twisted narrative that entire of Korea is so such a hateful country um, when in fact it's probably a vocal minority of people um, so yeah I mean that's you know that's one aspect of um, I guess um, say I mean in my book I use the word undesirable undesirable narrative but also I mean if we're going to move beyond just the, the Christian conservative Christian narrative in terms of like place of origin or country of origin um, I mean, let's be honest, over the past few, at least over the past decade, when you saw, say, foreigners uh, on TV, you have, t you usually have two types of foreigners. You have the desirable foreigners and the undesirable foreigners. The desirable ones are usually 
I mean, there's no exact formula, <laughs> but it's usually white or Western or from from Europe or from North America. That's what you. Those are the desirable foreigners, and they go on TV and they eat their kimchi, and then everyone laughs and they get paid, and then they become celebrities. Um, and then you have the undesirable foreigners who are from countries less well off, less better off compared to Korea, or um, uh, maybe from developing countries. And so those 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 kind of foreigners from those countries are the subject of these so-called human what's the word human documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, who are in in need of help or are unfortunate, who are suffering, um, and and we see that quite a lot of the time uh, portrayed on TV and just making these clear divides. And I think um, this reinforces stereotypes uh, that there's, like I said, a, a certain desirable type of foreigner or certain undesirable type of foreigner, and these stereotypes um, I think lead to some kind of I guess, racist attitudes in, in society. Um, I've seen it myself where, I mean, I'm not necessarily white, um, but I've seen people who, I guess, s- not look like me, but, you know, similar skin tone or something like that. But we have a completely different experience. Uh, and I think, I mean, I admit that I have a certain privilege because I have a European, a, a European passport. Are we in the e- Are we in the EU? Anyway, UK mm-hmm. passport. <laughs> no, Brexit <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> but you know, I I'm from I'm from a certain part of the world, and um, I think when I say that I'm from this part of the world, I think it it forgives my um, skin color, um, and and then I, I'm ac- I, to some extent I'm acceptable. Uh, but some other person who might look exactly like me, but who might be uh, from, you know, from another country, Pakistan or Bangladesh or whatever it is, then they will have a completely different experience from me and tell me how difficult it is and how much discrimination they receive on a daily basis. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's very sad that we we in Korea that that people are judged because of where they essentially come from. Yeah, and I, I think it also speaks to the fact that Korea is still very culture, like ethnically homogenous, um, even though they're in, we, we are in Seoul now, and there are you know pockets of Seoul that are very multicultural and um, diverse. Um, it really, they're pockets. I think the vast majority of Korea, outside of Seoul especially, is um, like a lot more conservative than I think people see on their TV screens. And yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, I mean, it's it's very, r- for us who live in Seoul, uh, you know, it's a bubble here. And I think it's easy to say that everything is fine and there's no problem because look, there's so many tourists who come here and they have a worry-free time uh, and no one cares and no one's, no one's staring, no one, no one says anything, but I think we live in a bubble, you know, Seoul overall, I guess, is quite, you know, international these days. But like you said, if you go out, if you step out, I think it can be a very different story. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring in in your book, you also talk about um, going back to Christian uh, groups for a bit. Um, In Daegu, there was a mosque that um, was going to be constructed. And the media apparently 
painted it as quote unquote like civic groups or concerned yeah. social society um, members or whatever opposing it when clearly it was a very specific group. So I just, you know, just kind of to underscore what you just said about the racism that sort of runs deep in uh, Korean society against, you know, outsiders, non-white foreigners. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. this whole, I mean, I could go on for hours about this whole mosque thing. I mean, you just have to Google it. I think I think you guys have, um, you know, I think at the Korea Herald, there's been one or two articles as well about it. If you just Google the mosque in Daegu, it's such a, it's such a gross story of that should be, hi- I think, highlighted even more uh, of this group of students who just wanted to build uh, a mosque. But now you have opposition from so-called local residents. I say so-called because some of them are not even local residents. They don't even live in Daegu. They're from Seoul. I know it because you see the pictures and I recognize the same protesters. Mm -hmm. I see them outside the National Human Rights Commission of Korea. I see them outside the Constitutional Court protesting against abortion. I see them protesting at Seoul Pride events. It's the same group of bigoted people who, who claim to represent the interests of all Koreans and then, like I said, they just make a new civic group name called, you know, maybe Tegu Citizens Alliance or whatever. And then, and then media, big media, and the wires in Korea as well, they just quote these people as if it's fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as if there's... But it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's xenophobia, it's Islamophobia, it's racism. I mean, it's, it's, it's all of it put together. Mm. So in prepare preparation for this book, uh, both of us read a book called Korea, the Impossible Country <laughs> yeah. uh, by another British journalist um, in Korea, Daniel Tudor. Um, it was published almost a, exactly a decade ago in 2012. And um, we wanted to see what were some of these themes that have changed since then in a book about Korea written from a foreign journalist perspective. So, um, have you read this book? And yeah, I, I mean, I can't really remember everything. I read it like it was when it released, like t- somehow ten years ago. Uh, yeah, I did. You know, I did read it back back in the days. Um, it's not. It's a not an easy question for me to answer because I've been living here on a day to day basis, um, and I'm sure it's the same for both of you, or if you live here for an lo- extended period of time, it's difficult to, to kind of pinpoint <laughs> the uh, the changes, I guess, uh, because we're living and breathing these small changes on a daily basis. It's difficult to, even for me, to have a kind of broad perspective um, compared to some, for example, someone who will fly in 10 years ago and then fly in again 10 years later, maybe they would be able to tell you <laughs> what's changed better. But um, I guess, um, and I say this in a positive way, but I think the biggest changes that I've seen are uh, people speaking up. I think that's one of the biggest changes. And I don't know if it's a uniquely Korean thing, but um, people speaking up and knowing when something is right and something is wrong and having an opinion about it and saying something about it and being more aware um, 
I think those are the biggest changes. I mean, I guess this is, I'm talking from a very specific point of view because I'm interested in these issues. But, um, you know, just, I mean, for example, 10 years ago, I remember when I was at university here, there was this, you know, spy cam in a Pulbab Chalyong issue. I mean, we didn't call it Pulbab Chalyong at the time, illegal filming, we'd call it Mulka. And I remember seeing that news and I didn't even bat an eyelid. And I remember s other people didn't bat an eyelid. And when I, I think I asked someone, you know, what does Molka mean? And they're like, oh yeah, it's just another of these incidents, like no big deal. And I remember men and women were just, I mean, whatever, it's just so normal. You know, we've come to accept it. And I guess not just me, but I think many people were immune to these kind of things. Um, and then and then over the past 10 years, it's like, no, wait a minute, <laughs> there's something really wrong here. Why are we accepting this as normal for women to be perved in by other people in the toilets? Um, and yeah, then we saw these street protests uh, of women saying, you know, enough is enough and we cannot accept this and the government has to do something about it. So I think just that small I guess, idea that the fact that 10 years ago, it was just no biggie. This is such a normal thing on a daily basis. But now people are like, no, this is really, really wrong. Um, so I feel like those are the big things that have changed. And I think we saw that a kind of symbol of this change uh, of, of saying no, like enough is enough. When we saw the impeachment of President Park as well, I think that was also, um, you know, kind of, uh, awakening moment for a lot of people um, and so and I think a lot of civil so, so, civil society has been able to get together a lot more in a more concerted way um, fighting for their for people's rights um, and so when something is wrong um, we'll know about it you know we know about it now uh, and people are not going to stay silent anymore. Um, so I think, yeah, this kind of awakening mm. ha has been the biggest change that I think I've uh, witnessed over the past 10 years. Of course, you have small changes, like the buildings are changing, the high streets are changing. Yeah, you have those things and trends come and go. But overall, yeah, I think this awakening has definitely been one of the most uh, things that I admired the most over the past 10 years, and I can only see it getting stronger uh, uh, going forward. So uh, yeah, and this is especially from a lot of young younger generations. So I, you know, I, I guess <laughs> I have a lot of hope. <laughs> Maybe, do, do you do you recognize any negative change that, that happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a change, but more of, kind of status, maintain, maintaining the status quo. I think a lot of people, especially older generations or people in power, don't like change yeah. and want to maintain um, certain rubbish aspects of society, such as um, awful patriarchy and, and um, you know, r role of men and women and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and also this this kind of yeah, hierarchy or capture and all this stuff. So I mean, we've seen efforts to improve. Like I said, people are not are, are starting to say something about it. And then we have certain anti-bullying laws in the workplace. 
So these are good changes, but still we're seeing surveys showing that bullying in the workplace is still such a severe problem. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a conflict between the old and the new. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a change, uh, a, a negative change, but maintaining a negative aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's not going to change overnight, of course not. But like I said, uh, I see a lot of hope in the young generation. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that whenever people ask me what I like personally like about Korea, I would have to say the dynamism. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, every generation is so different. Yeah. Like, you know, my grandmother graduated elementary school and then my mom graduated university. And then I have a graduate degree from like a foreign university. Like, you know, <laughs> over, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like in three generations yeah. in my own family, there's so much change. So right? much change. Yeah. And I think that's that something that's very specific to Korea. Like, I mean, like, it's, it is an extremely, like, dynamic, dynamic country. Yeah. And that is what makes it exciting. Sometimes in a not such a, you know, not a great way, but, um, you know, uh, more exciting, I think, nonetheless, than Canada. Right? More exciting than the UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, to wrap up, I, we wanted to ask you, do you have any projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, you know, not, not specifically. Um, I mean, we mentioned at the beginning, maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe there'll be an English version of this book. Who knows? Um, I'm keeping it at the back of my mind. But overall, um, I feel like, I mean, I do freelance journalism, and by no means is it easy. I think a lot of people think it's so easy, but it's not. Um, so I still have a bit of ste <laughs> steam left. Uh, and there's uh, so many, I've got like a Google Docs, <laughs> There's all these like story ideas. Now it's running paid in several pages of so many bullet points of stories that I'd love to cover. Of course, I can't do all of them, but there's definitely, I still think there's room for many stories that have not been said. They might have been covered a little bit in Korean or maybe not at all, but I feel like there's so many stories that haven't been told yet about Korea, whether positive or negative, but just human aspects and um, yeah, if and when I can, I really want to cover some of them, even if it's just a few from my 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 never-ending list of, of story ideas. Okay. <laughs> no hints on any specific projects? Uh, uh, what, what's going on right now? No. Sorry, no hints. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you did just publish a book, book so yeah. I think you're, you know, you deserve a well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's well been a, it's rest. been a bit of an exhausting uh, two years. Yeah. Um, I did like to ask one question. Yeah. Um, uh, are you happy? And what makes you happy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Okay, I, this might sound cliche. I'm happy to know that I'm happy. Mm. Because it wasn't always like that for m myself, even when I, growing up, or even coming to Korea, I think I thought I was happy. And I think I was also, even not just in Korea, but also in the UK, I was also, I think, in a certain way, following what was expected of me, even though the pressure wasn't uh, as as harsh there was also a lot of expectations but um i think when i finally realized that i don't need 
to follow what everyone else does. Um, then I had this kind of sense of relief, release and relief. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do what I think is important for me. Um, and it's in a way, it's just the small things that will make me happy. So if we have a good meal, if we have a delicious meal, <laughs> I think like, and with good people, then isn't that happiness enough? Um, because not to sound too dramatic, but we're all going to die one day, <laughs> you know? And um, sometimes, and actually I've seen, you know, unfortunately I've seen some people passing away around me in Korea and these tragic events have made me realize that, you know, life is not infinite and we should cherish and be happy with what we already have rather than chase distant dreams that might not ever realize. So the short answer is I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, thank you so much for, for being with us today. And then again, you can find this book uh, at any bookstore in South Korea. And I look forward actually personally to reading on English for uh, audience <laughs> outside South Korea. Well, I'll let you know <laughs> even when it comes out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, please leave a comment below um, about what you found the most interesting. And if you have any questions for Raphael, you can find him on Twitter at Choreo Dynasty and pick up Uriga Bojibutan Deaningguk, available at any major bookstore in Korea. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye. Thank you.